Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. What's up, church? Good morning. Happy Easter. I so wish we were gathered together today as a church family. Easter morning is probably one of my favorite mornings uh, that there ever are in the church. And I just, uh, I miss that we're not together because um, you can't say stuff like he is risen and he is risen indeed. It just, you know, it just doesn't feel the same when it's like this. And so um, I just want to remind us all, I'm even reminding my own heart when I say this, that even though we're not gathered together, even though we've kind of been in just a funky season as a nation, as, a, as the world, um, the tomb is still empty. Jesus still came and he accomplished what he came to do. And because of that, he has purchased my freedom. He's purchased your freedom. Freedom. You have a story. You have something that Jesus is doing in your life right now. And even though in this moment, we're not in the same room together, I know and I believe that God's gonna use this message. He's gonna use this word today and it's gonna get in you. And I'm praying that it just would transform us and that we would never look the same after this morning. Um, this is my first Easter as the lead pastor of this church. And honestly, I, I had it going a little bit different in my mind. Um, I, like I said, I love Easter. I thought we were all gonna be in this room together. Um, I, I, I even had Katie, so Katie, Katie dresses me. I don't know if you guys all know this, but I'm just gonna be real honest with you this morning here. Katie picks out my clothes every Sunday. I just kind of got tired of the process walking in and out of my closet where it's like, how does this look? And she's like, you know, it's okay. And so I just was like, hey, how about you just pick these things going forward? And so I, back in January, I was like, listen, for Easter, I want to look legit. I want to look. I want to look nice. Would you pick out a sport coat for me? And uh, and man, everything's changed since then, right? Like I have no sport coat. I'm not wearing a sport coat. I'm, I can't wear a sport coat because you're probably wearing pajama pants. You're probably wearing sweats right now, and I can't be overly dressed up in this moment because then it's just a little too awkward, right? And so, um, but man, like I am just, I am just hoping that whoever's watching this, like this is kind of what's weird about being on on YouTube and doing church at home is that I don't really know who's in front of the message that I'm speaking right now. Um, but I just want to say that like whoever you are, maybe this was shared to you but with a, by a coworker, maybe a friend sent this to your inbox. Maybe somebody that you just ran into said, hey, you got to check out this message and or maybe you just found it somehow. Um, I just, I hope and pray that if you're here in Loveland, if you're here somewhere, would you just come and check us out on a Sunday morning when this is all behind you? Um, I promise, like, we, we sing songs like we just sang. I'm up here preaching most Sundays, uh, but we're all in a room, and when we're together, uh, if you like this at all, it's a million times better, I promise, when we're all gathered together. And so uh, I just want to invite you right now, whenever this subsides, we don't know how long we're going to be in this kind of season here, uh, but I just want to, I'd love to meet you sometime. I'd love to see you. And if you're watching this and you're in some other state, my heart for you is that you would go and you'd plug in and you'd, you'd find a local church in your community and you would find a pastor there to shepherd you, to love your soul, to care for you, and that you would, uh, that you would flourish into all that Christ has for you to be, because that's what I believe the local church is for. That's why I believe we're all here today watching this is to be built up to be made look more and more and more like Jesus. And so little invitation. If you're our church people, uh, just know if I, I like, I picture, I'm in the auditorium right now and I'm picturing all your faces that I would normally see. And there'd usually be hundreds of you on an Easter morning. And, and I just, I wish I could see you and I wish I could say, hey, I wish I could just tell you that I love you and that everything's going to be okay. And this will pass. We will be back at it as normal soon. Um, but Nonetheless, here we are, and, and we've been in this series, if you've been paying attention at all, um, over the last several weeks, we've been in a series that we're calling I Am. 
And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at the seven I am statements that Jesus said about himself in the Gospel of John. Now, the Gospel of John was written by John, one of Jesus's closest friends. And at the end of the Gospel, he actually says, I'm writing all this down just so that you may know him, so that my testimony would, would go forth and you would see it as true. And, and he includes this little detail that I love that, man, if I had the time and if I had the ability to write down everything that Jesus did, all the amazing things that I encountered in my journey with him, the, the books could fit on the planet because there'd be so many things to capture. And, and so our hope in this series, we have said it would just be that we would behold the lamb, that we would actually just lift our eyes up, fix our gaze on Jesus. And in that expectant and just anticipation of what he might do, uh, Paul writes in the book of Corinthians that in his letter to the Corinthian church, that as we do that, as we behold Jesus, as we look at him, we are transformed little by little into the image, into the, the design that God has made us to operate in. And so that's been the, the heartbeat of this series is how do we just look at these ways that Jesus described himself and how do we just lift him up and make much of his name so that we might come to look more and more like him. And, and it's a great time to get our eyes off of maybe the news for a little bit, it's a great time to get our eyes off of our news feeds, off of ourselves, off of what's happening in our homes. It's maybe really fun right now because we're getting some quality time or maybe it's not as fun and we're feeling isolated and lonely. Uh, no matter what, the point right now and what I want you to do is just hit, even in your mind, if you just hit pause on everything that's going on, and I know we're getting just inundated and bombarded with all these different news updates and all these different things that are happening and we're just kind of on top of one another in our house and you're not getting any alone time or maybe you're getting only alone time. And either way, maybe it's driving you crazy, but I just wanna say, pause that for a minute. Just like think for a second and just know that like as we look at Jesus, that's what transforms us. That's what reassures us. That's what infuses us with hope and with peace in the middle of chaos. And so today what we're gonna do is we're gonna unpack um, a story about one of Jesus' closest friends, Lazarus. And in this story, we're gonna see a few different things. And so I wanna open up the, um, the Bible with you. Uh, we are gonna be in the book of John, chapter 11. And um, the first few verses here, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read it and, and it's gonna kind of frame the rest of the story. And so um, I'm gonna start just in verse one of chapter 11. So if you've got your Bible, great. If you don't, there'll be verses on the screen, I'm sure. Um, if you wanna read your Bible, but you don't have your Bible yet, just again, you can like hit the pause button, you can go get your Bible and you can come back to it. We just always wanna see that like what I'm reading here is just scripture, it's true, it's there, I'm not making anything up. So John 11, starting in verse one. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. So we got Lazarus, he's sick. He's in a house with his two sisters, Mary and Martha, that Jesus knew. Jesus spent time at this house. He, he, he dined with them. He knew these people and he was friends with them. And Lazarus fell ill. And so the sisters, they sent for Lazarus. They sent this cry for help. They were worried, like clearly they, they needed intervention quickly because Lazarus was so sick. So they cry out for Jesus. They send a messenger to go get him and, and they say, say to Jesus, this is in verse three, Lord, he whom you love is ill. He whom you love is ill. The first thing that kind of frames this, this story is the fact that the miracle that's going to happen is predicated on Christ's love for Lazarus. And, and you gotta just hear this because I think it's oftentimes backwards how we approach God. So 
I just know this about my own life. I know this from interacting with different people is that as we experience crisis, as things start to go wrong, as outcomes don't go the way that we thought they would, we usually cry out to God in a way that says, God, I have done this. I have done this. I have done this. I, I have gone to church every Sunday. I've raised my kids better than this. I, I have loved my husband sacrificially. I have showed up on time for my job and this is happening. And we start to frame up with our need for a miracle from what we've done. And we say, now, God, would you please help me because of what I've done? And I just want to show you that, that this whole, the story, one of the foundational elements of this story is that it sits on the fact that God loves Lazarus. God loves you. If you're needing a miracle right now, you don't need to cry out based on the things you've done. Our, our, our uh, love from Jesus is neither gained nor lost in the way that we act. He loves us steadily. It's not going anywhere. You can't do anything to earn more love. You can't sh show up to church enough. You can't give enough money. You can't do enough selfless deeds to earn more of God's love for you. He loves you. And that's what this story is built on. So we read on and we say, uh, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. So here in verse four, what we learn about the rest of the story also is that whatever's about to happen is going to be to glorify Jesus. And we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. But it says, verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed for two days longer in the place where he was. You see again that this story is motivated by not just Jesus' love for Lazarus, but his love also for Mary and Martha. Because he loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, that's why he stayed two extra days. And so he stays two extra days. Um, we're going to keep, keep going. Verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And so I'm going to skip a few verses here. Pick it back up in verse 11. After saying these things to his disciples, after he's been talking with them a little bit, he said to them, okay, now it's time. Now it's time for us to go visit Lazarus. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him. And his disciples, they just like, they don't get it. His, they just say to him, Lord, if he's, if he's sleeping, like that's a good thing. That means he's going to get better. Like right, once you start sleeping, that means you're sleeping it off. He's gonna, he's gonna be just fine. Why do we have to go now that he's fallen asleep? So Jesus kind of flips over to Enneagram type eight and he just shoots like super straight with them for a sec. He says, Lazarus has died. He just tells them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. The second kind of primary truth of this story is that you cannot rush, rush Jesus's plans. Jesus is going to do things how he wants to do them. And I think a lot of us, we kind of get in these moments where we're, we're stuck waiting because we can see the outcome that we are crying out for. We can see an outcome that we need. And so we cry out to Jesus. We ask for him to intervene. And if you know in the story, like he, he doesn't come right away. He does not come from where he is. It doesn't say that he can't come. He's not inhibited from coming. He just, just says because he loves them, he doesn't come for two more days. So he's allowing Lazarus to die. And, and that's kind of hard for us to wrestle with. And we go, oh my gosh, how could a loving God? And you hear, you know the story, like you probably have a moment like this in your life where you cried out in desperate need for God to come and he didn't deliver. But the, the truth is, is that God is always doing something. God is always up to something. In the middle of crisis, what he's trying to build in you, what he's trying to develop, and he's trying to refine in you is faith. God's, God's primary love language, if you're kind of familiar with the love languages, right? My wife's love language is, is quality time. 
She is a quality time girl through and through. Uh, it doesn't matter if I really do the dishes. It doesn't matter if I really give her a lot of words of affirmation. If I buy her gifts, she's not about like fancy jewelry. She just wants to hang out and just sit on the couch, just enjoy each other's company, drink coffee in the morning. If we don't get that time, my wife's like a little edgy the rest of the day. And um, so like this quarantine time, I think she was made for it. Like we're just at the house all the time. We're just together all the time and she's thriving. Like she loves this time. And I'm a little more extroverted than she is. I, I'm a little maybe less of a quality time person. So I'm, I'm kind of like antsy, right? I'm kind of like, I, I can't wait to maybe get out of the house and go just even record a sermon at the church. I, I got to go do something. Like I got to see people. I think that's why this is so hard for me because it's not my love language. It's her love language. She could just sit. I think she'd be cool if quarantine lasted for like another few months, honestly, of all of us just hanging out in our house. Please, Lord, hoping that doesn't happen for multiple reasons. But um, Jesus's primary love language is trust. Jesus' primary love language is trust. He just wants you to trust him in the midst of circumstances where you can't see an outcome. See, because we get so convinced that faith is, is getting the kind of outcome that we want, that God is some kind of, oh, well, I prayed and he didn't answer me, so he's not real because I didn't get the outcome we want. Or we do get an outcome that we want, or we, we do have something favorable that happens and we go, oh, God is with me because I achieved this outcome. But, but God is not He's not so much willing to just play this game where he just gives you what you want. He wants, he wants you to wait. He wants you to be patient. He wants to build your faith in the middle of a crisis, build your faith in the middle of this uncertainty because he's in control of the outcome and we're not. So the first thing that we know is that this miracle is motivated by love. The second thing that we know is that you can't rush Jesus. Faith is not an outcome, it's a process. The third thing that we know in the story is that Jesus, who he is, is he's a person who brings dead things back to life. And so if we read on verse 17, it says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, listen to this, listen to this carefully, because it's the same response that Mary gives later. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha says, I, I know, I know. He will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You see, sometimes faith is, is believing the eternal uh, weight of what's going to happen. Faith is acknowledging that eternity is real. And it's going, okay, I know that person's in a better place now. I know that everything will work itself out in the end. But also sometimes you got to realize that faith is believing that something can change right now. And that's what Jesus shows us in this next verse. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. And so no matter where you're at watching this, no matter what's happened to the relationship, no matter what's happened with your finances, no matter what's happened with your, with your heart, with that wound that's so old and you're convinced that it's dead and it's helpless and it's in this lifeless state, 
I'm just here to tell you that for the rest of this message, what we're going to, I hope that you can see is that God is the God of life. He's the God of resurrecting life. He wants to bring life back into the dead places in your heart, the dead places in your dreams, the dead places in your spirit. That's who he is. The sermon, my sermon in a sentence, the rest of what I'm going to talk about, resurrection is not just something that Jesus came to do. It's something that he shows us that he is. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It's not just something that's going to happen one day. It's a person that's in front of us right now. And so the first thing that I want to acknowledge is that we all have a Lazarus situation. We all have a Lazarus situation. Here's what I mean by that. If you can, if we have the power of hindsight when we look back at this story, but if you can kind of embrace what this must have felt like to be Mary and Martha for a moment, I think you'll realize that we're a lot more like them than we think at first look. And the reason I say that is because Mary and Martha, they have this relationship with Jesus. They know him, they love him. They know that he can heal, they know that he can help. And so they send out for him to come and help. Jesus doesn't show up on time. He waits to come until after Lazarus has died. And the first words out of both of their mouth is, Jesus, if only you'd been here. If you could have just made it on time, then he would have been fine. And then you kind of see that they say, I know that I know that you can do whatever I ask for. And so it's just comforting to me to see biblical characters with this. They have great faith, but they also have questions. They also go, but God, why, why didn't you show up? I know you can change this, but why didn't you show up? And my guess is that you have a Lazarus situation somewhere in your life. You have somewhere in your heart, somewhere that you can think of, a wound, an old time, maybe that you, your brain goes back to where you prayed and you cried out to God and you needed an intervention and he didn't show up in time. And you have maybe this, this, uh, this wound that stems from that, or this, maybe you have this wall built up. Maybe you put this stone over the grave of what used to live, and you said, nope, God didn't show up, and so I'm covering this. I'm over it. I'm moving on. We all have this moment where, where we've probably cried out and asked for something, and God hasn't delivered it. And I think that maybe leads a lot of people astray, but, but what I want to show you is that all, going all the way back to verse four, it says, this is going to happen so that the son of man will be glorified. God's glory is simply his, pre, like his essence, who he is as a person going out into the public sphere so that we can actually see who he is. And so at first take, when you read this, you might think, oh, well, God's going to do something and he's going to let somebody suffer. He's going to let some friends suffer so that he might be glorified. It feels a little narcissistic at first. But when you actually start to uncover it, you start to think about who Jesus really is, the best thing that he could ever give Mary, Martha, and Lazarus is not the thing that they're asking for, not the thing he can give them him. That's the best thing that he can offer is himself. And so what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, I just want you to see who I am more clearly. And whatever struggle you've been through, whatever hard like bump in the road that you had to go over, I promise you, if you pull the layers back off of that, the reason that you were going through it, it might not have been God that was putting you through it, but what God was trying to do was he was trying to show you that he's been in it and he can redeem it and he can restore it. And he wants to be with you. He wants to reveal himself to you in the middle of the hard times. So if God really is the bread of life, if we go back to the beginning part of this series, if he really is the bread of life, if he really is the only thing in this, in this world that could satisfy my anxious and weary soul, everything else is temporary, everything else is going away, he's the only thing that's eternal. If he really is the light of the world, if he really is my only hope in the darkness, if he really is going to guide me through all of these unforeseen circumstances, all these things that I can't possibly see the path, but he's going to light things up for me, 
if he really is the door, the gate, the protector, and the pathway to eternal and abundant life, if he really is the good shepherd who lays his life down for those that he loves, if he really is the way and the truth and the the pathway to everlasting eternal life, then he is worth having. He's worth meeting. It's the only good thing that he could offer to us in a time where we're struggling. It might not be that what you're crying out for in the middle of a crisis is what you actually need. You might actually need a better perspective of who God is. And you'll see that it wasn't ever about that relationship. It wasn't ever about the money. It wasn't ever about the job. It was always about having my peace, my hope, my joy, my security coming from him. We all have a Lazarus situation. We all have a time where we cried out and that God didn't answer it. But what God's try- I'm trying to tell you right now is you went through that moment so that you might see him now. So Lazarus situation, the other reality is that we've all been in Lazarus's state. We've all been in Lazarus's state. Now Lazarus, Lazarus dies. He dies in this story and Jesus waits to come bring him. So he waits four days, which is intentional. It's significant culturally, but I just want to point you to uh, John, we're going to jump ahead. See, we're going to jump ahead and skip a few verses here. Not because it's not good. It's the inerrant. It's the perfect word of God. It's all good. Maybe if we had more time, we'd unpack it. But we have less time because your attention spans down a little bit because you're watching this on a TV screen. You're waiting for an ad to pop up. You're waiting for me to say something like, this sermon brought to you by, or like, I'm so thankful for our sponsors of today's message and you're waiting for an ad to pop on. It's not happening. So just stay with me. Stay focused. We're going to pick this back up. Um, verse 38. Jesus was deeply moved again. He's come to the tomb now. There's an audience. There's people all around him. He came to the tomb and it was a cave and a stone lay across it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Take it away. Move back that stone. Uncover the grave. And Martha's response in this moment is, Jesus, like, no, we can't do that. It's going to smell. Like, it's, it's going to stink. There's going to be an odor because you're late. You missed it. And you can hear the pain of her heart one more time that's saying, God, you weren't here. You didn't show up. He's so dead that his body is now decomposing. The funeral is not only over, the people are leaving town, the casseroles are going bad. Everything's been cleaned up, packed up, put away. It's too late, Jesus. He's dead. And the reality is, is that this story speaks to Lazarus's physical state of moving from physical life to physical death. And then Jesus, spoiler alert, is going to move him from physical death back to physical life. But there's a principle here for our spiritual lives. You see, the Bible talks about all of us being in a state of being spiritually dead, physically alive, but spiritually dead. I remember talking about this one time with a a group of middle school students, and it's not that we've all experienced, we've all been in Lazarus' state physically, and we've all been resurrected, because then that, that in the middle school group kind of went into this whole conversation about zombies, and like the wheels really just came off that day. That's not what's happening to here. But Ephesians chapter two says that, says that each one of us, though physically alive, has, is born spiritually dead. We're born just, we're just choosing our own path, following the rulers and the principles of this world, doing what this culture, what this body thinks feels right. Even if I know it's not right, it says that I'm, I'm subject to do the things that just feel good. I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slave to whatever I think I want to do, whatever my body wants to do, and I, I really just kind of follow whatsoever, whatever's happening in the culture and the world around me. But and, and I just want to show you that, that we've all been in this spiritually dead state. And, and you know who's like, who's, there's no one that's less helpless to change their current situation than a dead person. 
Like once you're dead, you are incapable of change. You might, you might think, no, I, you know, I can, I can pick up a new habit. I can pick up a new discipline. If I'm, if I'm not healthy, I can change my diet. I can start exercising. I can change. But if you're dead, like you're not changing. Everything's staying the same for you. You have no power to fix your current situation. You can't be doing CPR on yourself. You can't be giving yourself, you know, the AED and shocking yourself back. You can't, you're helpless. And that's how we are. We are stuck in this spiritually dead state. But I think it's more helpful to talk about why we're in this state of spiritual deadness. The reason why is because if we go all the way back to the garden, we see that at humans, uh, creation. You have Adam and Eve and they're in the garden. It's beautiful and it's perfect and they lack nothing. Everything is available to them. They get to commune and be with the presence of God all the time and everything is perfect. And Adam and Eve choose to disobey God's will. They choose to not listen to him. They choose to rebel against the things that he's asked them not to do. And so from that moment, the human genome was fractured. And what sin has done is it's created this separation, not just from God, but from the God who is life. And because of that now distance between he who is the source of life, we have grown spiritually dead. But it's not just Adam and Eve's sin, it's also your and my sin. You and I have both chosen things that we knew we shouldn't do, we, that were contrary to the, to the heart of God. I, I think back to when I was in, uh, in like middle school, my mom and dad, they, they put this um, sign in front, of our, in front of our toilet in our bathroom when we were in middle school. And it just was, it was God's rules. And it was just a kid version of the 10 commandments, right? So like, I don't know if you can picture this, but like no smartphones back then, nothing else to read. So I, like as a middle school kid, like you're just using the bathroom, you're looking at that sign, reading God's rules strategic placement by my parents for sure. So one thing, even though I wasn't a Christian at the time, I wasn't, I wasn't like walking with the Lord. I didn't even really know the nature and character of who God was, but I would see these God's rules. And what I would see on there is I'm out. I'm out. I can't follow these rules. Honor your father and mother and do not lie. You lose, you lose everybody by middle school at those two right there. And then when you actually start to learn about Jesus, um, as, I, as, I, as I came to faith, as I started to learn who he is, you see that Jesus actually ups the ante. He says, not only can you not commit murder, but if you even think, if you even think angrily towards your brother, you've already committed murder in your heart. And so we have, we have these rules that are in place. And, and I think if we're not careful, and I think maybe even some of you who have a hard time coming into church, you're, you're maybe receiving this and you haven't been in a building in a long time, in a church building, but but maybe you, we can think too much that the Bible is just a book of rules. And you kind of hear it cast that way at different times. Well, that's cool that you have your, your beliefs and you, you do your rules in there. And, and you just kind of try and listen to that. And, and what I want to say is like this, this book is not a book of rules. It's a love story. And because God created everything, yes, there are rules. But those rules are des designed to lead us towards life and lead us towards thriving. But we've all chose to bro break those rules. And in fact, even if you, um, even if you tried your hardest, on your best day, you can't keep all the rules that are in here. You couldn't even keep those top 10. And, and I think what, if, if we're not careful, like I said, if we reduce it all to just a pile of rules and a list of things to do, we miss the fact that the rules are actually just meant to point us towards the Savior. You see, it says that the, the law was given to us to be more like an x-ray, to just reveal that there's something broken. But the x-ray in and of itself, it has no power to save us. It, it'd be ridiculous to say, okay, my arm's broken. You just kind of like give it to the x-ray machine to try and help you. That's not what the x-ray machine's for. The x-ray machine is meant to reveal to you that something's off, that something's broken, that something's wrong. And it is to point you towards your need for help. That's all the rules are in this book is to point us towards the person who's willing and ready to help us. Our savior 
Jesus, who we're going to, I mean, come on, it's going to the resurrection. It's Easter Sunday. We'll get there in just a sec because we've all been in Lazarus' state. We've all been in a lot. We've all had some sort of Lazarus situation. But the last thing that I want you to know is that we can all experience salvation just like Lazarus. So jump in with me. Um, verse 40. Martha protests Jesus rolling away the stone. He says, don't take it away. There's going to be an odor. But Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lift up, lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is like making a last ditch effort. Like, I think this is such a weird statement as he's looking up towards the heavens. He's like, you always hear me when I talk to you, but I'm really just doing this so that everybody else would pay attention that you're in this, that you are doing this. And he goes, and when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. He said, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died, the man who was lifeless, was infused with life from the resurrection and the life. And he walked out of that grave. And it's just got to be this mic drop moment. I can't imagine, you know, I've been to some uh, funeral receptions where, you know, this, the, the person was a believer. They clearly loved the Lord. And it's almost like this celebration at the funeral where you're just so, you're so happy and so honored to have just known a person. And, and I've been to some of those receptions that are just like, they're great receptions to be at in a way because they help you grieve, they help you process. But I can't imagine going to a resurrection reception like, what would that even be like? The next time you're at a funeral, the person comes back to life. What would the celebration look like? It would just, it, you know what it probably would look like is the day that we finally get back up into this building. And when we are actually get to come up in here, I know I've talked to some of you, like when we get back in this building, you, I just like, you better be ready. It's going to be crazy. I don't, I don't even know what's going to happen, but I, I'm expecting the roof to just lift off this place. And so, all this chaos, all this just like crazy celebration has to be happening because Lazarus just was raised from the dead. This dead guy just came back to life. But I think it was a sobering moment for Jesus. I think in his mind, he was probably so glad that his friend was back to life and that he was able to do this thing. He was able to bring glory to his father. But I think it was a sobering moment because it says from this moment, the Jewish leaders began to plot to murder him. And, and if you know the story that it's not long after this, this public miracle, which it's funny to me that this is what makes them want to kill him. Like, Jesus, you're the worst. Keep raising people from the dead. You keep turning bad and broken things into wonderful, lovely things. You're just an awful person, right? But the Jewish leaders start persecuting him and he's, and he's tried and, and he's arrested. And even though he's innocent, he's found guilty because he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I might be able to walk in everlasting life. And, and he's, he's nailed to that cross. He's brutally murdered. He's hang, hanging on that tree. And, and you go, wait, but this is the person who just raised Lazarus from the dead. Couldn't he have gotten down? The answer is absolutely he could have gotten down. It wasn't nails that were holding up to that cross. It was his love. It was his love for you and for me. And it wasn't, it wasn't the Jewish leaders who murdered him. It was he who laid his life down. Because the, the true story, the reason we get to celebrate the resurrection and the life is because Jesus didn't stay dead. He came out of that grave and he's changed my life. And I believe that in this moment, because Jesus came out of the grave, what's happening is he's able to call now to your name. 
He's able to call you out. He's able to call to your broken dreams. He's able to call to your busted relationship, your marriage that looks dead, your kid's relationship that you think he's wandered so far from the faith, they're never gonna come back. All of those situations, that circumstance in your life that you're convinced is dead because Jesus came out of the tomb, I believe he's calling to you right now and he's saying, come forth, come forth, come to me. It's initiated by his love for you. It doesn't matter if you still have questions. That's what faith is, is being confident and having this everlasting hope in the middle of difficult circumstances. And he's doing this because he knows, he knows you. He knows your name and he's calling it out right now. And I just wanna invite you in this moment that even though, even though you've maybe had a Lazarus situation in your life where, where Jesus didn't deliver, even though you maybe had um, a time when God didn't show up when you needed him most, even though you, you've been in Lazarus' estate. Maybe there's even some of you, you're realizing you've, you're in Lazarus, you're dead spiritually, even though you show up in church every weekend. That's a reality that we have to understand is that we can be showing up and doing Christian things, but, but we're just doing it all for our own self-righteousness maybe. Maybe we're just doing it all for the community and for the things that are here, but we're not really doing it for him. And so my hope is that you would answer his call right now because we, we all, every single person listening to this, if you're hearing this right now, I believe that what God wants for you is he wants you to answer the call. He wants you to walk in salvation. He wants you to be saved like Lazarus was saved. And so what I'm gonna do in just a moment is I'm gonna pray. And, and if you wanna make this jump today, here's what you just gotta know is that our role in this is just to respond to the call that God has before us. We just simply, we simply listen to that impression that's on our heart right now. You have something in you that's just pulling you, that's drawing you in. And what you need to do is you just need to respond. The way you respond is by just surrendering. You surrender your life. You say, okay, God, I'm done. I'm at the end of doing what I want to do. And now I want to just follow you. And, 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 and when that moment happens, he meets you with this, with this life. He, he, he resurrects that. He brings you back into who you're supposed to be. Because like we'll talk about next week, he's the vine. He's the branches. He's the one who wants to be connected with you. He wants a relationship with you. And he's going to infuse life and he's going to produce fruit in your life that you can't even comprehend. And so our role is to simply surrender. And, and it looks like just answering that call. And so as I pray, um, I'm going to pray and, and I just want maybe all of us, church family included, would you just bow your head, close your eyes. I'm just going to say, God, I know that I have sinned. I know that I've fallen short. I know that I've chosen my own way. But today, God, in this moment, I choose you. I choose to follow you wholeheartedly. I choose to give everything I am to you. It doesn't mean that I'm gonna do it perfectly. It doesn't mean that I'm gonna do it uh, just without falling a couple times, God. But right now in this moment, I take my infant little faith and I just try and walk towards you. And God, I know that you're gonna hear that prayer. You're gonna hear the cry of your people all around this city, all, all around uh, these living rooms that people are gathered in, God. And I ask that you would just meet those people where you're at. Jesus, we, we love you, we trust you. And we're so thankful, God. We are so thankful that because the tomb is empty, we know that there is neither height nor, there, or there is neither um, death nor life nor angels nor demons. There is, there is nothing that we can fear for today or worry about tomorrow. There's nothing, there's no power in hell. Nothing in all creation can separate us from your love because of your victory over death. And so God, on this resurrection Sunday, we just, continually and all the more commit ourselves to you. 
And we just say, God, wherever you want me to go, I will follow. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.